Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make Hi, of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, today I thought I might talk a little bit about compassion. Are you a compassionate person? Perhaps you're too compassionate. Maybe you suffer from compassion fatigue. But we're going to talk a little bit about this today, and let's hope to shed some light on this rather interesting experience of compassion. Now, compassion literally means suffering together. And it's defined as the feeling that arises when we're confronted with someone else's suffering. And when we connect with that suffering, we feel compelled to want to do something to alleviate, to help that person. Just a few days ago, my son and daughter-in-law and two grandchildren came down with COVID. And of course, a compassionate response was obvious for me in that you want to do something. You feel their suffering. I mean, literally, you feel it. You, you feel it within you. So you, you kind of become part of that suffering, you know, vicariously. But the compassionate response is not just understanding and connecting to someone else's suffering. It's also that you want to do something to alleviate that suffering. And that's, that's pure compassion. So it's been a few days since they got COVID, just an FYI, and it seems that with some medication, that they're on the right track, but it's day by day, this horrific virus that we've all inherited. But compassion is, is really, I think, something that is so vitally important, just psychologically, health for health reasons, not just mental health, but physical health. And maybe, I mean, I, I tend to look at compassion, you know, as it being part of our DNA, but it's not, it's not just a human trait. I mean, we see it in rats and chimps. When they see a fellow rat or chimp suffering, they, they go out of their way to do something to, to help, to alleviate. So compassion seems to be something that's of vital importance for any kind of socialization. And this is why it would be such a valuable trait to kind of imprint in our own DNA because it promotes a bonding. You know, it promotes that, that feeling of cohesiveness, society. Remember, it's to suffer together. It, it, can, it connects us to people. Someone who is isolated, withdrawn. In my writing, I call these people turtles because they retreat into their shell of insulation. These are people who maybe don't want to get in touch with their compassion. Why? Well, simply because compassion connects. And if, if you are more or less wanting to avoid 
and take a step back from involvement in life togetherness uh, it helps to to kind of not recognize your own tendency toward compassion so sometimes that gets buried and suppressed and we become kind of cold to others and it's not that we are cold but that we've developed this persona that insulates us and as you know from my talks and my books it's all about control so someone who is not in touch with their own compassionate kind of tendencies is someone who is retreating into that turtle shell where they feel protected now is it a better way of life well it's a controlling way of life but i certainly would say it is not a better way because true happiness comes from expressing that in us which is natural i would go as far as to say it's unnatural to suppress that compassionate response so in, in an evolutionary sense i think you know there is value to being compassionate it's good for us and i don't mean just being good for us i mean literally good for us mentally physically research shows that inflammation the cellular inflammation is at the root of cancer and other diseases you know and it's generally rather high in people who live under a lot of stress so we might assume that people with higher levels of happiness would have lower levels of cellular inflammation which causes cancer and diseases and research shows that this was only the case for certain very happy people you see people who are happy because they lived the good life you know that hedonistic happiness you know money power status yeah maybe maybe they're happy on their yacht you know sunbathing in the caribbean well these these people had high levels of information and you know ironically these people sunbathing in the caribbean as happy as they might think they are had high levels of cellular inflammation so yeah here we are i'm happy i'm on my yacht and i'm contributing to my ultimate disease because my cellular inflammation is high how can this be well people that are more compassionate had low levels so the happiness see certain kinds of happiness there's legitimate healthy intrinsic happiness that comes from the inside out and that happiness lowers the level of cellular inflammation whereas external happiness money power wealth all that kind of stuff it doesn't do the same thing it doesn't you may feel happy on on some level but it's not contributing to the profound healing happiness that comes from living a life of compassion one study showed that the lack of social connection is a greater detriment to health get ready for this it's a greater detriment to health than obesity smoking and high blood pressure so again that person in that turtle shell may feel well insulated they may even feel happy but there is that price to pay it is a detriment and physically our bodies reflect the fact that we are 
in a sense, antagonizing ourselves by being less than compassionate in our lives. And there's a therapeutic value that comes with being compassionate. There's no question about it. You come out of your turtle shell, you start to empathize with the pain and suffering of someone else, you try to do something. And what that is, it shifts the state of self-focus to a state what we might call other focus. Now, now you may recall a time where you were kind of down in the dumps and the bills are piling up and you're just down sulking and the phone rings and it's your neighbor. You've got to help me. Uh, I've got a leak in the basement and water's pouring in and you, you run out of the house and you get down there and you're working and you're bailing water and, and you're starting to feel good. You know, you're helping your neighbor. You're doing something worthwhile. You're compassionate. You know he's in distress. And you're trying to alleviate that distress by doing something. You feel better. Where's your mood? Where did it go? Well, that self-absorbed focus was replaced by other focus. And that's therapeutic. So there's value in being compassionate. And as I mentioned earlier with the, the turtle shell, some people truly fear compassion. And, and the only reason could be, as I, as I look at it, could be because basically it, it leaves us feeling obligated. And that for someone who's trying to control every aspect of life is unwieldy because we don't know where that will lead. The person that gets that phone call Oh, if I go over and help, you know, then maybe they'll want something else next week and just, just, just leave me alone. So for some people being compassionate has kind of a, uh, an open-ended danger to it. We're much safer in that turtle shell. Yeah, you're much safer. You're also prone to unhappiness and to a life, a mediocre life of stability, perhaps predictability, perhaps but not happiness. What about self-compassion, right? Compassionate for others, of course, to alleviate suffering, but what about toward yourself, right? I mean, most, most patients I work with, to some degree, there's always this self-flagellation, beating yourself up, just feeling crummy. I should never have. Why did I do that? And you go on kind of punching at yourself, berating yourself. You know, it's the old shooting yourself in the foot kind of thing. Why did I do that? I'm such a jerk. I can't believe. And, and on and on and on. Now, you're not being very compassionate, are you? And what happens when you are not compassionate to yourself? Well, you start to drive your mood, your anxiety, your depression. And Basically, you're driving the habit of insecurity that, that keeps this lack of compassion going. When I say habit, what am I talking about? Well, low self-esteem, self-confidence. These are, these are, you know, a lack of self-confidence, I should say. These are habits of insecurity. And like any other habit, you know, they become more knee-jerk. So when you say something inadvertently, that offends somebody. Maybe you had no, no intention whatsoever to say something that would hurt someone's feelings. 
but you did. And you go home that night and you're driving home and you say, oh my God, why did I say that? I can't believe I did that. It's so terrible, so horrible. I can't, I'll never, oh. And, and meanwhile, you had no intention of saying something that would hurt somebody. You might've been totally unaware or unconscious that that would be something that might hurt somebody. So you shot yourself in the foot. And now you're being, you're whipping yourself, beating yourself up. So here's a time where self-compassion would come into play. However, a habit of insecurity, a habit of low self-esteem or confidence would prevent that. But it is important for you to realize that self-compassion, it really does involve treating yourself the way you would treat a friend or someone else that's having a hard time. We can feel compassionate towards people we don't know, obviously. You see someone on the street, a homeless person, someone gets in an automobile accident, and you immediately have this compassionate response. If, in fact, you're not running from your own compassion. And this goes back to that turtle shell. So if you're, if you're not denying the compassionate response, that reflexive natural response within you, then the first thing, if you see somebody that's in distress, the first feeling you're going to have is that empathy, that feeling of together, the feeling and understanding that suffering, that thing that connects us to that person. And then the second response is to want to do something. Now, unfortunately, you know, we live in a society where sometimes we are we are more or less programmed to not get involved because involvement sometimes means putting yourself at personal risk or danger. So what do we do? Well, it's not necessarily the turtle shell example I've been using, but it's the protective kind of uh, paranoid, not paranoid, but I think you know what I mean. It's just that we are so sensitized by what we see on TV and people turning on other people and uh, physical violence and so we've become perhaps overly cautious to the extent that our compassion becomes thwarted or at least more or less tempered by the reality that we feel is is somewhat uh, dangerous and it's a shame it's a shame because in a better world you know, we see someone in distress, we empathize with that distress, and we want to do something, and we should do something. And in most cases, it's a, it's a reactive experience. It's not a, it's not a thinking response. Sometimes it's an immediate response. If you, if you see someone in distress in any given moment, and you reach out to help, it's like a drowning person. You reach out and you grab. You don't think about it. That's the instinctual compassionate response. It's when we start to think too much. You know, that's where we get into, well, what if I do that? It's like the neighbor with the, the water leak, you know, what? then he's going to want me to help him with the, uh, lawn, the lawn next week, and then it's going to be the painting. of. So we, we get ourselves into a defensive spiral of, tis better to isolate. But it's not better for you. It really isn't. And you should practice Compassion and self-compassion, whether it's someone else or yourself. And what about someone that offends you? Wow, that's not easy. 
someone that offends you and your first reaction is anger. Okay, hard to be compassionate there. Take a step back though. Afterwards, retrospectively, are you harboring that anger? Well, what is that anger doing? You know, it's, it's a poison that you take. You hold on to that. So a compassionate review of that anger would help you to realize that why did that person do that? You know, maybe compassionately you, you put yourself in that person's shoes. Try to understand. And I'm not saying you can do this with a stranger, but, but it's not a bad exercise. You know, why, why are they like that? Why would that person be so brusque, so hostile? You know, where did, where did that come from? What was their childhood like? Why are they suffering so much to be so nasty? It's, it's a good exercise for you to realize that compassion can, can really envelop an understanding and to not take something so personally. Because when we personalize our anger, then it's, it's, it's us against them and it's just defensiveness. But it helps to understand that you know, people, people can be genuinely kind and compassionate when they are non-defensive, non-threatened. When people are threatened, what do they do? They act in a very not hospitable way. As a psychologist, I, I try to understand. I'm not talking about my patients. I mean, I try to understand why someone might approach me in a way that I don't particularly like. I try to understand where it's coming from. I remember a time where, a long time ago, I was driving in a, a parking lot and this elderly gentleman was pulling out of his spot and I was going straight. So I didn't want him to back into me. So I tapped the horn and I pulled into another empty spot, two or three spaces to the left of him. And this guy gets out of the car, fuming, red faced, screaming, you're an animal. You're an animal. Why? What do you just and first of all, I couldn't understand. I, I didn't even know if he was talking to me. So he was, when I say elderly, he was. He was probably in his 80s, still driving. And I was afraid the guy was going to have a heart attack. So I didn't, I didn't really say anything. I, I might have said, you know, don't get so upset. It's not whatever. I, I don't remember what I said, but I, I, I just didn't want to antagonize. But I, I really felt I was being falsely accused. And later, I remember thinking, you know, why would he be so angry? Now, he obviously thought I was chastising him for pulling out and my blowing the horn was telling him, you know, that he was in the wrong. And I was, I was, you know, telling him to, uh, you know, be a better person. And he didn't like that. But I tried to understand that in a compassionate way. And, and, and I did feel rather sorry for him. He got really worked up, so upset over nothing, over a miss cue a misunderstanding and and that's you know that's part of the compassionate life that we need to live is to understand that when human beings get threatened or fearful they do things that are you know kind of uh what would we, what would we call a holistically human you know the the nice compassionate response we might have it's people people become you know, the shadow side of people comes out and we see that negativity and the destructiveness. 
and we can see that anywhere in the world once we once we abandon compassion once we abandon connectedness to others some pretty terrible things can happen just turn on the news at night so compassion is a critically important thing for us for society for the world but it is something we practice individually from person to person now before I leave this this concept, I, I need to mention that there are people who are truly very compassionate, and we might even say overly compassionate. You know, they, they give so much, and they give so much of themselves that it is detrimental to their own mental health. And we call that compassion fatigue. I was talking to, since my my son and daughter-in-law and family have COVID. Uh, my daughter-in-law's father just flew in from Iran. And we were talking last night about, and, and he has, you know, he's, he has the ability to help others in Iran. And, and he does that to so many people. And the more he does that, because this, he lives in a very poor area. And people contact him asking for favors, for help. And he does. And he does, and he gives, and he gives. But there is compassion fatigue, and you could see it. Uh, it's just like there's no end to giving and giving. And it, it, it's a good thing. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. He's a very compassionate man. And I think that sometimes when there's no limit to our compassion, because let's face it, we live in a world where you can make a career out of going around and helping homeless people on the streets, people that need help. I mean, you could give up everything and just have a life, a career of helping and giving and giving. And there needs to be some boundaries there. And that's where self-compassion comes in. What are my limits? I remember when I was in training analysis, my, my training analyst once told me that, you know, we're go you're going to be dealing with a lot of poison. And you really need to be careful. You need to keep your head screwed on straight because this is not an easy profession if you get too involved. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. As you can imagine, a psychologist deals with lots of pain, lots of suffering. And at first, you can get lost in a patient's suffering. And if patient after patient after patient in one giving day comes in and you are lost in each of their sufferings, you're not going to make it very far in this profession. What I did is I realized that I wasn't going to really be helpful if I got lost in the pain. I wasn't going to be most helpful if my own feelings of compassion were clouding my objective judgment of what was going on and how to help that person. So what really helped me is I started to focus on the way out for someone suffering. What I could really give them was not the, not the compassionate response of alleviating their struggle, but staying objective enough, not that I don't care about someone suffering, please, but the understanding that I needed to find a way as to why they were suffering and what I could do to help them. So I'm always focused on the optimistic outcome. I've heard such dire stories, such deep depressions. And what keeps me afloat is not getting or drowning in those miser miseries with a patient, 
but in asking myself, what can I do? Where can I start to look to help this person overcome their burden? And that, that's what allow, has allowed me to go more than 45 years without kind of uh, getting compassion fatigue. And, and I think it's very valuable. I think it's very valuable to realize that sometimes in order to truly help, you, you can't get lost in your own hysteria or compassion to the extent where you are not being really helpful anymore. So, you know, there's a nice balance and that's where self-compassion is so important in life. So I, you know, that, that was my take today on self-compassion, compassion towards others. It's, it's, it's a one step at a time kind of deal. Make a difference. So be kind to yourself, be kind to others and be healthier for it. Okay, that's it for today. And I'd like you to visit my website, selfcoaching.net, where you can find out more about my self-coaching philosophy. So until next time, So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless and you're not powerless. So remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week. And what do you say we make it simple together? Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight.